Island Barnes. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together on an evening that you've ordained from eternity past for our edification, Father. Thank you for setting aside time and a place to fellowship with your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the study of his word. Father, we're so blessed out we don't even know it. Thank you for reminding us of such simple things and realities in our lives. Thank you for encouraging us along the way. Thank you for your loving kindness, your patience, your grace, your mercy, and of course, your love. Father, we pray for those that can't be with us this evening, and we pray for those still lost, of course. We are most grateful and thankful for all the good work that your Son has done on our behalf to satisfy and bring glory to you. We just ask for blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the deceitfulness of sin, part 70. I do want to do a quick review of Tuesday's message, just some highlights uh, that I really thought stood out. Um, I realize that Tuesday evenings are reviews, so I don't I tend not to do a whole lot, um, but a lot of times it's just some things that really stick out that I want to um, amplify. Uh, the Spirit has stepped back and at the start of service to ponder the following on Tuesday. Uh, imagine living a life, just imagine living a life of encouragement and peace. In other words, wipe everything else out. Just imagine for a moment. It's, it's impossible for us completely to do. But imagine for a moment just living a life filled with encouragement and peace. And what that would mean uh, to our souls uh, and to our rest, as we'll see later on, uh, in other words, imagine the sense of, and this is what I took from it, you know, at face value, say, ah, oh, yeah. But what about the sense of privilege uh, we have when we are given the time, energy, and opportunity to simply encourage another human being? Just think about the privilege of being given the time the energy, and the opportunity to encourage another human being. Think about that. What a blessing that is. And you know what? The correct word here is privilege. The, the right word is privilege. And you should feel privileged for the time, energy, and opportunity. And we can't live in yesterday. So how many missed opportunities have we had? We don't live for today, so there's no condemnation, but... Just think about the privilege given to us to be able to encourage another human being. Consider the basic honor of doing so. Go to uh, John 15, verse 10. John 15, 10. It's a basic honor. God doesn't have to give you the opportunity to do that. God doesn't have to give you the blessing of giving of yourself to another human being for the sake of encouragement. But you know what? He does. I can't think of a day um, where there's not an opportunity to encourage another human being. And I mean in a godly way. Not the old, you know, boy, you did great at work or something, you know, so you can be more of a, uh, you know, a knucklehead or something like that. I lost my connection, DJ. Let me try it again. <clears throat> All right, I'm back. John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment. Notice the proximity of what he's saying. So that your joy may be made full. Okay, what? This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Of course, encouragement is from a base of love. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. What a privilege that is. Is it not? 
Is it not a privilege? I think we're so selfish. Is it not a privilege to love one another? No, for real. It's a privilege. We, 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 we think we're entitled to these things. And we're not. These things are given to us as gifts. You didn't even know how to love this way. You weren't capable of loving the way you love right now. That's another grace gift. So he said, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And by the way, greater love is no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Never think anything less of encouragement than what it truly is. It's a privilege. It's not a chore. It's a privilege. I suppose the same goes for any form of living for others, with a primary focus on living for one other person specifically. That is Christ, of course. But I suppose the same paradigm, if you would, goes for any form of living for others. It's a privilege. Think about it this way. If you're convinced that God loves you and wants to bless you by grace, should be convinced by now, then is it fair to conclude that if he says living for others is the pathway he wants you on, that is, this pathway, is the only one that leads us to blessing? Or is the one that leads us to blessing? Is it fair to conclude that? If he wants to bless us out, and then he says, here's the pathway to blessing, and by the way, if you live for others, you're blessed, don't you think that we ought to listen to him? Of course. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. This brings up a nice point from Tuesday up here on the board. Living in Christ, <clears throat> if we abide in the sphere of his love, his peace can overtake us allowing us to focus on encouraging others as the day draws near. We looked at Colossians 3.15, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Hebrews 10.25, which has to do with gathering together. Again, if we abide in the sphere of His love, His peace can overtake us, <clears throat> allowing us to focus on encouraging others as the day draws near. All of that is a privilege. One way that the Spirit brought out on Sunday and Tuesday uh, that we might um, miss this is through this idea of familiarity up here on the board. And the encouragement from the Spirit on Tuesday was let's not fall for sin's trap of familiarity. It's a trap to become familiar, to lose sight of the privilege. How about the privilege that you're experiencing right now? How about the fact that you have the privilege of the time and the energy and the place to encourage another human being, to make a difference in someone's life? And we become familiar with it to the point where we stop doing it. We stop looking at it as a privilege. We think, eh, you know, meh. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. I'm not feeling it right now. That's a trap. And we call it familiarity. And I like what Scott said on Tuesday, that familiarity is ancient. Even Satan got familiar with the Lord God. So I was reflecting on this, and you should too. If you suddenly recognize you're arrogant or familiar, it means that at some point prior, you've already failed some other test. If you suddenly recognize you're arrogant, if you're in that moment and you're like, I, I was just familiar, there was something that led to it. You have to go, in other words, you mustn't take just one step back. You have to take two or more. In other words, familiarity is a symptom of some other root cause. There's a reason why that's plaguing you. If you're familiar with someone in your life, starting with God, of course, always, then you have to ask yourself, how did this happen? How did I end up here? I believe it often begins 
with a loss of gratitude as a result of being distracted by the seductive forces of the world. And you see, we're already a few layers deep. It's not just that you were familiar. When you ask the question, how did this happen? Well, it's because I lost my gratitude for the privilege just to encourage another human being, to make a difference in someone else's life. How did that happen? Because I got distracted. How did that happen? Because I got seduced by the world. As long as our eyes remain squarely focused on Jesus Christ and his gospel, we hardly stray at all. However, once the world has torn our eyes off of the prize, eventually our blessings, for example, peace, begin to erode. And erode's a good word because sometimes it can be tricky, you don't realize it, and so you have to be on guard. A perfect example of a person on guard was Paul. Paul never got cocky about his spiritual maturity. In fact, he was always on guard. Go to Philippians 3.13. Philippians 3.13. And so if you imagine and understand, if you know anything about Paul, you know that he was, a, by relative standards, a very mature individual, spiritually speaking. I mean, he was tasked with writing the majority of the New Testament. I would say that qualifies him as being uh, quite mature. But yet he never let his guard down. He never said, I've arrived, and therefore, you know. Look at Philippians 3.13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I would argue some Sunday mornings, I'd be willing to bet somebody in here thinks that just getting to church means they've arrived. Means they've, you know, laid hold of it for the day. (laughs) Made it. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul never let his guard down, obviously, nor should we. Speaking of distractions, think of this. I don't know why he has me say, maybe this is something that plagues some of you, I don't know. Um, when's the last time you watched the nightly news and weren't disturbed and ultimately derailed for a time? When's the last time you watched the nightly news and you weren't disturbed and ultimately derailed for a time? What is it that you think you're gaining by watching the news. And just as a disclaimer, I'm not suggesting we don't keep up with current affairs. That's not what I'm saying. But what is it that you think you're gaining by watching the news? And that's a, it's a fair question we must all ask ourselves. Why? Well, <clears throat> for starters, we must ask who it is that controls the media these days. Who controls the media? Could it be the kingdom of darkness? And if this is true, what do you think the strategy is in showing you all the dirty laundry and scaring the pants off of you? What do you think that strategy is all about? There's hardly ever any good news. If if it is, it's a rush at the end. Oh, and by the way, some kid saved a cat from a tree. Good night. It's always, this kid shot this kid in school. Uh, This is going on in Korea. This is going on in China. Did you know so-and-so now has nukes? Did you know so-and-so? It's just there to scare you. Do you think that helps or hurts you in terms of your ability to concentrate on the things of God? I mean, if every time you turn the news on, or read the news, whatever you do, you are pelted with how the world economy is about to collapse, and you know, you'd better buckle down with your investments before it's too late, 
or you better stockpile gold and silver coins in order to be able to trade when the Russians or the Chinese come and take over. Or our own government falls into martial law, so you'd better start stockpiling gun ammunition. Or that if you've been eating meat or eggs or milk over the past few years, you're going to die of cancer. Can you ever win? If these are the types of things the news gives you nowadays, what value does it have to your spiritual well-being? Here's the real question. What's more important than protecting your peace? Honestly. What's more important than protecting your peace? And think of the strategy. Who owns the media? Who controls the media? Personally, and it doesn't matter what you think about my personal preferences, it really doesn't, but I don't watch the news, and I barely read it either. The fundamental issue is that it's the distraction. And you know what? It is designed to be just that. Now, some of you willfully enter into that distraction because you like talking politics and arguing about this and that and, you know, imagining you know, these crazy scenarios that can go on that'll never happen. All that stuff is designed to scare you. It's designed more, though, to be a distraction. And if you can't see that, you've got a lot to learn. And if you think you haven't been affected by it, ask yourself if you're the one or one of the poor souls who has fallen for the scare tactics. That's a fair question. Just think about that. What if you're so scared and you're preoccupied that you don't sleep well at night and you're tired and the next day you get up and you miss your opportunity to encourage a person in Christ Jesus? It seems to me that the kingdom of darkness won a little battle. It seems to me they made a little headway. They eroded a little bit more of the shoreline, if you would. On the flip side is the better option. How about this? Trust in God. Trust in God. Read Psalm 28. We're not going to read it tonight. Not all of it, but I would encourage you to. Psalm 28, Psalm 56. I'll give you seven, Jeremiah 17, 7 right here. Trust in God. Up here on the board. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. You're blessed. Do you get it? You're blessed. Now measure that against the, quote, blessing of watching the nightly news. One just fills you with anxiety and fear, and one fills you with blessing. One trusts your instincts with the world. One trusts the Lord. One says maybe you have a little control. One says God has all the control. One says, throw the Bible concepts out. One says, believe in the Bible concepts. I suggest you read the other passages I just listed, but here's a snippet from Psalm 56. Go to Psalm 56, 3. Psalm 56, verse 3. You know, there's only so much time in the day. Is that fair to say? So what shall we occupy our time with? Opinions of the world? Scare tactics? Things that 99.99% of the time never even come true. I'm tired of that game. I actually played that game for a very long time in my life, and I was miserable for it, worrying about the 0.01% of the thing that could go wrong. Psalm 56.3, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? Honestly, what can you really think that some, I'm not picking on the Chinese or whoever you're afraid of, some foreigner that you've never met really wants to hang your head on a spike? 
No, for real. That's why you're, uh, what, suiting up with armor? What can mere man do to me? Honestly, I can spend my time unwisely suiting up for worldly battle, or I can be equipped. I can get rid of all the fear and stop listening to the tactics of the world and suit up with the armor of God and say, I trust in you, Lord. I'm not saying be stupid and parachute into Pakistan with a, you know, a cape with, <laughs> you know, down with the infidels or something. <laughs> I'm just saying, we only, there's only so much time in a day, right? That's what I'm saying. Instead of being afraid of everything that the news gives us to chew on, I would argue, you know, hardly any of which is actually from God, probably none of it for the most part, or even godly. Instead of being afraid of all that stuff, maybe we all need to just step back and remember one important truth from the God-breathed Word. Go to Hebrews 1, verse 3. Hebrews 1, verse 3. Maybe we just need that perspective change, you know, a reset, a stepping back, because I kind of, I don't know about you, but I kind of like sleeping at night. I wrote a blog maybe a month ago about, uh, some of you aren't old enough, some of you are too old to have seen it, but back in the Cold War, there was a movie called The Day After. Anybody remember that? I was scared. I mean, really scared. Stuff was never going to happen. I mean, was it a real threat? I guess so. But nobody wants global war like that. Maybe some maniacs, but they're under control, as far as I know. Hebrews 1, who cares, though? Who cares about what I think? I'm not a military genius. Look at Hebrews 1.3. This, <laughs> this is what's important. What's important is not all the speculation and the fear. That's what, I'm, that's what the Spirit's trying to say. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. And you know what? He upholds all things by the word of His power. In other words... He has everything under control. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. So I'm going to trust in the Lord. Instead of buying the fear tactics thrown at us through the so-called news channels, Maybe we all just step back and remember who controls history. Instead of living in fear, maybe just maybe it's more conducive to our peace and happiness if we rest in the Lord. Maybe just maybe we do well to live a life of gratitude rather than fear. In other words, shouldn't that be our focus? For as long as we're alive on this planet, we have the ability, for example, to encourage another human being, to actually make a difference. What do you think goes farther? What you heard on the news, and then you spread it like wildfire over a coffee, and everybody's like, or to encourage those same people somehow, some way, in a unique gift that only you have, a voice that you've been given. Seems like a layup to me. So maybe we do well to live a life of gratitude rather than fear. Maybe we ought to exhibit that, exude that to others. You know what? I'm just going to live in gratitude. I love Jesus. And maybe that's what people should see in us, not fear. Maybe, just maybe, if we got our focus back on Christ... All of this would make perfect sense, and for that, we'd be incredibly grateful. Up here on the board, gratitude protects us. The minute we lose thankfulness in our hearts, we fall into the curse of familiarity, and we wrongly start taking people or even God for granted. This is the two steps back I alluded to earlier. Why? Well, how do I end up in this particular situation? 
for example, if you've become familiar, it's a deeper issue you need to figure out through prayer and introspection with the Spirit. If we're disoriented like this, we need to step back and allow the Spirit to reorient us. For example, instead of taking others for granted, we ought to be seeking ways to encourage them. As the Spirit alluded to on Tuesday evening, the way we are able to do this is with our words. The Bible speaks of the tongue um, being a very powerful instrument. It doesn't take much. It really doesn't take much to communicate to someone something that is encouraging. Does it? It really doesn't. It really doesn't. And it's, it's free, you know what I mean? You don't have to give someone a hundred bucks to encourage them. You can just say something to them. And it's free. So we're able to do this with our tongue. Sometimes we forget that the tongue is a powerful instrument that acts like a sword. But it isn't just nasty. Sometimes you have to cut through uh, ungodliness or the fog that someone's in or the depression. What can cut through depression quicker than a sword, than the Word of God coming off of your tongue? And that's the visual. We sometimes forget that the tongue is a powerful instrument that acts like a sword, but this particular sword is like the Roman gladius sword. That's that one that has the thick handle and a double-edged sword, double edge to it. It has two edges, which means it cuts in both directions, as James wrote. Go to James 3, verse 8. James 3, verse 8. <clears throat> so we have to protect ourselves. We have to be grateful. We have to remember what we're grateful for so that what rolls off of our tongue isn't damaging, isn't injurious, if you would, to other people. It's encouraging. It cuts through the garbage not the good flesh. It cuts out the bad stuff and leaves the good and not vice versa. James 3.8 <clears throat> We don't want to become, you know, it's that old saying I used to say in industry, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. James 3.8 But no one came, oh, excuse me, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we concede. What? We can bless our Lord and Father. And with it also, because it's a double-edged sword, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. It should be just blessing all the way, in other words. It's a very powerful instrument. The tongue is an incredible instrument, and it has the ability to bless or curse not just curse. I know we often think of that way when we tie it to the Bible um, because we've all had uh, listened to, I'm sure, I know I have taught on it several times, um, the power of the tongue, but it tends to be brought out, hey, you know, that thing can really hurt someone. And I think we can lose sight of the fact that that same instrument is double-edged and it can cut through all the nastiness and the garbage of the world and insert encouragement into someone's soul. It's just as powerful if used the right way. So when Jesus said that we ought to live for others, giving encouragement, words of encouragement with this instrument is a perfect example. As with most human efforts, though we can get lazy and reject the Spirit's unction to expend our energies on encouraging others, we forget the privilege of it. Why? Because we've lost our gratitude. Why? Because we've been seduced and distracted etc., etc., we become really good at receiving encouragement, but poor at giving it. And as a result, if we're honest, if we survey our lives, our relationships suffer. Our relationships suffer. Think of the, the polar ends I just described. The person who all they do is listen, say, to the news, and that's all they ever have to offer anybody in conversation versus the person who's always willing to encourage. 
Which one's going to have stronger relationships? So when we become really good at receiving but poor at giving, encouragement, uh, our relationships suffer. Here's some food for thought on this up here on the board. If you're married, you know this. If you have any close friends, you also know this. Relationships require effort. Selfish lovers are terrible in relationships because if they even give it all to another person, it is always tainted with a desire for personal gain. They don't see it as a privilege to build someone up in Christ. They don't get out of bed in the morning and say, this is going to be a, a, a cool day to be able to encourage another human being. In the faith, let's say, like Romans 1.12. Selfish lovers are terrible in relationships. Because even if they're giving anything, it's always tainted with a desire for personal gain. The greatest relationship of all is the one we have with the Lord God through Jesus Christ. And you know what? We cannot afford to be selfish lovers of Christ. So think about it. What's the Spirit saying? What's He been saying the last week or so? To love Him is to know Him. Right? Who doesn't want a relationship, a, a stronger relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, to love Him is to know Him. I mean, that's the implication of any relationship that even supposes love between two parties, right? I mean, I can't say that I love you if I don't know you. I might have an impersonal love, but that's not what we're talking about. If you want real affection for another human being, uh, if you want to serve as an encourager to another human being in the, uh, in the more profound way, then you have to know that person. They're not even going to let you get by their, their guard if you don't have a relationship with them. And a relationship always implies some kind of intimacy. So to love, to love Him is to know Him. How can a person claim to love another if they don't even know them? And yes, I'm speaking of personal type love here. Personal love is something reserved for friends. I'll go to my grave with this. It's the greatest love of all. I sound like Whitney Houston. <laughs> it's the greatest love of all. Friendship. I'm serious. I, be, I actually believe, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything to do with anybody's marriage, not my own. I think you can have a tremendous marriage and be more, more friends than anything. I mean, let's face it, when you're 100 years old, what's left? <laughs> Some of the fringe benefits, you know what I'm saying? You better be friends, you're not going to like each other very much, and you're not going to get along very well. Personal love is something reserved for friends. Something Jesus spoke about. And I love this about Jesus because if you read Jesus, you see a certain intimacy he had with his disciples, with those that he was closest to. Go to John 15, verse 11. John 15, verse 11. So personal love is something reserved for friends. And let's face it, if... I walk up to a stranger and say, or give them what I think is encouraging, and then five minutes later their best friend comes up to them and gives them something that's encouraging, which one means more? Of course it means more, coming from someone that actually knows them. John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. In other words, we have a real intimacy going on here. Don't miss this. I love you. I want you. You're my friend. I want you to be happy. I want you to have a joy. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. In other words, that distance, that gap has been closed. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father. 
I have made known to you. What does that mean? That's a very important point up here on the board. I have called you friends. And do not miss the speaker here. It's the Lord Jesus Christ up here on the board. Friends are those we share confidential things with. Our hopes, our dreams, our innermost intents, etc., etc. Things that bind us to one another in what we would call healthy relationships. Friends are those we share confidential things with. Jesus intimates such things with his sheep. He just said, these are the things I heard from my father. I'm giving, you from the, I'm giving you things that I didn't have to tell you before. A master never has to tell a slave anything except go do this and go do that and don't ask me questions. You don't have the right to ask me questions. But as a friend, I'm going to intimate why I do the things I do. Why I'm asking you to love the way I've loved you. I'm giving you a part of me, in other words. I'm giving you insight to me, the person. That's very different than a master-slave relationship. He says, I'm calling you friends. I have called you friends. I'm going to intimate with you now why I do the things I do. So Jesus intimates such things with his sheep, but only those who come to truly know him will ever benefit. That's for you and I. If you never spend any time in the Word of God, how are you going to know the Word? And He is the Word. He's not walking here anymore. He's not saying, come sit with me. Let me teach you. He said, I've left you with the Word, and I've left you with the supernatural teacher and the faculties to learn. If you want to know me, there it is. If you want to understand what it means to be my friend, you've got the invitation as a believer. If you want to know what it means to be my friend, here you go. I'm willing to share. So, we have to step back once again and look at the big picture here. The holy God of the universe. It's always Whenever I write that, I tend to write that all the time in my notes now because I want the magnitude of His holiness right in my face. Just think about it. The holy God of the universe who loves us in a way barely understandable to finite-minded creatures, has gone out of his way to grant us access to supernatural peace. What? Yeah. Him. The holy God of the universe loves us in a way we can't even put our arms around. And He's given us and He's made a way to peace. We have the greatest friend of all in God. Remember that. You know you'll never hear that on the nightly news. <laughs> you won't. You're not going to hear you have the greatest friend of all time in God. You're going to hear, hey, on the New York Times bestseller, God is dead. You're going to see morons propped, it up, propped up. You have to remember that you have the greatest friend of all in God. Our friend has given us so much to be grateful for, so many reasons to rest in His grace. As the old saying goes, Never look, to, never look a gift horse in the mouth. To do so is to dishonor the giver. It's insulting in an infinite way to have the holy God of the universe grace just, oh my word, grace us with his friendship. Are you serious? I would have been satisfied just to be your slave. <laughs> really? If given the option, I'll gladly just be your slave. You don't have to tell me anything. And sometimes he says that, right? Who are you? But you're saying you're also, we can be friends? Like, Lord, Jesus, you want to be my friend? You want to intimate with me? You want that kind of relationship with me? You want it to be that personal? Yes. So, so you came down to die to make this possible? 
Yes. So it's an abomination to have us turn around and dishonor him. Just consider God's most basic desire up here on the board. This keeps coming up, I think, because we're just about ready to finish this uh, series, Joey. <laughs> Someday. 1 Timothy 2.4 God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We know that He wants us to know Him. We know that when we come to know Him, we can love Him. We know when we learn these things, we're even personal friends of Jesus'. Let us not forget the second phrase in the verse on the board. Come to the knowledge of the truth. God's will is that we know Him through the Son. And to reject this is to reject His will. He says, I want you to come to know the truth. My Son, He is grace and truth in full. I want you to come to know Him, the same one who said, let's be friends. I've made a way. And so to reject this is to reject His will. Are you doing this, Todd? Must be a good message. I keep getting punted, guys. Let me back up again. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let us not forget the second phrase here. Come to the knowledge of the truth. God's will is that we know Him through the Son. Give me a second. It's saying the keynote's not open, bud. Is it still black screened up there? Then open it. If it's any encouragement, it says almost ready. <laughs> you guys have no idea. Do you think that's do you think there's any mistake to what just happened? I'm literally on the precipice of maybe the, the pivotal point of the lesson and what happens. Unbelievable that DJ keeps screwing up. <laughs> He's like this. It's those sausage fingers, man. Get him off the keyboard. Just use a pencil. You know you hit like three keys at a time with those things. Backing up again. Oh, and I'm back to num point number one here. All right, give me a break. Hold on a second, guys. How about those Bruins? Oh, sorry. All right, here we go. Okay, here we are again. What is God's will? That we come to the knowledge of the truth. So God's will is that we know Him through the Son. And the point I was trying to make, to reject this is to reject His will. So all of this comes together up here on the board. What does it mean to dishonor God? To be dismissive of His will in any way. Just put that into perspective. You've got the holy God of the universe. Say, I'm going to clear the way for you by grace. You don't deserve this at all. I'm going to clear the way. Meh. I want you to know the truth. Because the truth will set you free. You can, have, you can be and understand and realize a real relationship with my son. That's how you get to me. All of that I'm going to take care of. And some people go, eh. I'm distracted. I've been seduced by the world. I'm, a, I'm afraid. I almost said a scared like when I was a kid. I'm a scared because of the news. I can't sleep at night. What does it mean to dishonor God? To be dismissive of His will in any way. For example... If you exchange heart issues with religious practice, in other words, this came up on Tuesday as a focal point, you know, when you read your Bible to check off a box. Maybe you're doing well. You have your routine, you get your coffee, you read your Bible in the morning, 
And, you know, you just kind of read it. And you're still thinking about the news channel last night. And you're worried about it. And you just kind of read the Bible, close it, and go to work. As I heard the Spirit teach this on Tuesday, a thought occurred to me. We can't just read the Word of God without an investor's mindset. And that came out on Sunday and last Thursday as well. We can't just read the Word of God without an investor's mindset. Even an unbeliever can read the Bible and get nothing out of it. We must read the Bible with intent to learn. Let me give you some more perspective on this. <clears throat> reading your Bible. You're better off reading one chapter in the Word and meditating on it through prayer and fellowship with the Holy Spirit than reading a whole book and then immediately heading back to your worshipless lifestyle. You're better off reading one chapter. I'll, I'll, I'll even make it better. Three verses. One verse. You're better off reading one chapter in the Word and meditating on it through prayer and fellowship with the Holy Spirit than reading a whole book and then immediately heading back to your worshipless lifestyle. Remember what Romans 12.1 says? Your entire life. That's your worship. Everything you've got. All in. He wants you. Doesn't want lip service. What kind of friend are you? Let's put it back on that plane. What kind of friend is that? A person who gives you lip service. How long are you going to keep that person close to you? Not very. What happens when you find out your friend is a selfish lover and everything they've ever told you and everything they've ever done is really for them? And as soon as your utility towards them runs out, you're gone. What if you recognize that seed in another person you call friend? How long are you going to remain friends with that person? Not very. Because that's not a very good relationship to start with. It's got a bad foundation. And that's what the Spirit's getting at here. You've got an invitation to be friends with Christ, to realize true friendship with the one and only, Jesus Christ, the one true celebrity, not the ones they prop up on, on, uh, you know, at 6 o'clock on uh, mainstream television. So the, the, the following challenge came from the pulpit on Tuesday. Are you listening? Do you just hear the words of the Spirit or do you listen to them? Do you listen to the world's advice instead? These are the questions that lead us to the truth about our faith. Are you listening? Do you just hear the words? Or do you listen? Or do you listen to the world's advice instead? These are the questions that we must ponder. And I hope you understand the manner in which the Spirit is having us depart from this incredible series titled The Deceitfulness of Sin. Don't miss it. He's saying, as he said on Sunday... There's no way, no way any of us have possibly absorbed all that we've been presented with in this series. There's no way. I mean, you know, how do you say it? How do you say it? Ten ways to Sunday? What's that saying? Anybody? Hey, thanks for your help. <laughs> Seven ways to Sunday? I'm just going to make it up. How many different ways has the Spirit cautioned us about the deceitfulness of sin? A bazillion, let's call it that. Let's get technical. A bazillion different ways. 70 parts. That's 70 hours, folks, of messages. There's no way. There's just no way that you remember. You probably don't even remember two weeks ago. I don't remember two weeks ago, and I'm writing this stuff. There's no way any of us have possibly absorbed all that we've been presented with in this series. I'm the vessel through which this series was delivered, and I can't even imagine pretending I've got it all down pat. My only hope is that by grace through faith, if I keep on reading my Bible, 
with intent, all that has been presented will continue to sharpen with regards to focus. Remember how we end up even familiar. Somehow we lost our focus. Somehow we were distracted. Somehow we were seduced. Somehow we lost gratitude. But if I keep on reading my Bible with intent, then my focus remains at least sharp and continues to sharpen. The Spirit saying, don't you dare try and leave any of this series behind. Some of you are probably like, can we just get on with this series? I get it. I suck. <laughs> and you know, the first instinct is to say, whew, we're done with that series. It's going to carve that out as behind me. And the Spirit saying, don't you dare leave this series behind. Grab hold of the pearls set before you, all 70 parts, and take advantage of the fact that God has also ordained a website that gives you all 24 by 7 access to these messages anytime you want. And Greg and his faithfulness, make sure that you have uh, podcasts even. Do we still have both, audio and video, or just audio? Yep, audio and video, podcasts. If that's not true, just throw stones at Greg. But whatever, we have a website that you have anytime access to. So let's see. If I can't remember everything, and I know that I have some extra time in my schedule, and maybe I'm going to take the advice from the pastor and watch less news just you know just saying you have every means necessary to fulfill the world the will of god which was what first timothy 2 4 desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth you have every means necessary to fulfill his will and again to know him is to love him this is his will for you up here on the board Knowing God, this came out on Sunday, we don't have the right to imagine anything about the holy God of the universe, the one who plainly states, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, Isaiah 55, 8. Human imagination is disastrous. So we don't get to fill in the blanks. It's bad enough we don't take in all the grace that He gives us. All meant to bring us to peace, by the way. All meant to bring, him, bring us closer to Him. All meant to usher us into abiding into the sphere of His love. All that goodness we leave aside and we supplant it with human imagination, which is disastrous. We have no way of knowing how to get there without His help. That's why the Spirit's called our helper. Therefore, this is what we've been learning. Again, we're coming out of this shaft and He's saying, don't you dare not pursue this. To know the Word is to know God. In the beginning was the Word, and if the Word was with God, and the word, excuse me, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.1, 1, 1, if you knew me, you would know my Father also. John 8. 19b. So, and I'm almost out of time here. I can't believe it. Just blame Todd. Knowing God is a grace gift that cannot be supplanted by any other knowledge in this world. The kingdom of darkness does not want you to understand this basic truth. The kingdom of darkness wants you to strive after the wind to exhaustion. It wants you to buy the lie that happiness is something to be gained through human ingenuity. That knowing God is but one of several possible options on your way to a meaningful, fulfilling life. A huge success in Satan's eyes is when a believer begins doubting God's willingness to deliver them in time. We're so impatient, right? 
Sure. But I want love and I want it now. I want this and I want it now. Who says that that's ever for you? Oh, I heard it on the news. And then all the little snippets in between called commercials. Did that go out yet? The one about the commercials? All right, that's coming. I just wrote about this in the most recent blog. A little uh, a teaser trailer is that TV programs are really just vehicles for commercialism. It's the, it's the commercials, if you realize it. It's the commercials that matter, not the stuff in between. Right? It's like popcorn is a vehicle for salt. Right? That's why you eat it. Who eat? Right? I digress. But think about that. You'll get it in the blog. Right? A huge success in Satan's eyes is when a believer begins doubting God's willingness to deliver them in time. Satan would love nothing more than for all of us to be confused about God. That's how the distraction starts. Wait a minute. I also wrote a blog called Options a long time ago. Wait a minute. If I just turn to the left or to the right, if I divert my eyes just a moment away from Jesus Christ, you're giving me another option, O kingdom of darkness? You mean I have another possible option for happiness? And I might get it a few years earlier? Huh? Yes. That's called seduction. And that's how it starts. Satan's winning all the time by getting people to doubt the provisions of God. And so he would love nothing more than for all of us to be confused about God. Because think about even in that moment, if you, if you take the wrong fork in the road and say there's a short-term Chinese food benefit, at that point in time you're saying, hey, wait a minute, I'm confused. I'm, quote, happy as hell right now. And I took the road opposite from God. What's more confusing than that? Well, that's my, my um, short-sightedness, I'll call it. That's short-sightedness. That's what Satan in the kingdom of darkness specializes in. Things that cannot be sustained. But Satan really does a number on us when he's able to confuse us and to seduce us away from the only one that matters, the only one that we really should be grateful for, the only true celebrity in this world, Jesus Christ. So the Spirit asked you, this past week, and I hope you've been thinking about it, to synthesize three simple verses that we've all seen many, many times. 1 Corinthians 2.16, For who has known the mind of the Lord that He will instruct him? Isaiah 40.13, that's a rhetorical type question. But we have the mind of Christ. Mark 9.28, how is that possible? Mark 9.23b, all things are possible to him who believes. Luke 24.45a, then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. That's how. To open, open your mind to understand the Scriptures. But I don't read the Scriptures. Well, <laughs> I guess you're going to miss the boat. I guess you're going to miss out on the blessings. That's the point. The encouragement coming from the Spirit on the tail end of this massive series is this. Keep reading your Bible. There's a reason he had me read um, some correspondence to you on Sunday. To, to be encouraged by another member of the congregation. And that person was, I got a, a, a flood of emails after that saying the same thing. I'm so glad. I just got one from Frank who I thought was dead. I'm just kidding. Hey, Frank. He's been watching. Um, saying the same thing. I'm so glad that someone said that because that's what I'm experiencing. I'm here in a bed. I'm bedridden or whatever. He's, he's stuck. And I just keep reading my Bible and it's getting better and better. And it's true. Imagine that. It's true what the Bible says in its self-authenticating way. That if you stay on this, this path 
things go well in, in life for you. If you buy the lies and you turn on the TV and you watch the TV programs and the news and, and all that stuff, you're going to be seduced away. And you're going to miss out. And your relationship with the Lord even is going to suffer. So the encouragement, and then I've got to close, the encouragement coming from the Spirit on the tail end of this massive series is keep reading your Bible. This is the most important form of obedience of all. And I'll end this way. To know the Word is to know the heart of God. To know God this way is to find peace. To find peace is to find rest. All of this is predicated on one simple recurring theme in our studies. That is obedience. Obedience. Obedience to the Lord ultimately promises rest. Who here doesn't want to rest? What part of heaven doesn't involve rest? Amen? Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us this message to chew on this evening. Thank you so much for the time and the space and the energy to listen with intent. Thank you for encouraging us to continue to read your word for it is the truth that sets us free, Father. We just ask for your blessings as we take these things back to our homes and the intimacy of our relationship with you through your Son. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.